entering the Freedom Hut. What will the governors do and when will they do it? Reopening America, top of the agenda right now. King Trump and unlimited power, that's what they're saying. The constitutional question that this raises. Spain easing lockdowns, the South Dakota hotspot, Quest Diagnostics laying off employees. Is there a COVID cycle that we should be aware of? Obama to endorse Biden and the risky Chinese lab. Coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. But I want to thank the many governors, health professionals, scientists, and business leaders for their incredible hard work and input over the past month. And even long beyond a month, Mike, I would say, you know, so we've been working together with a lot of them for, it seems like, forever. I've been having many discussions with my team and top experts, and we're very close to completing a plan to open our country, hopefully even ahead of schedule. And that's so important. We will soon finalize new and very important guidelines to give governors the information they need to start safely opening their states. My administration's plan and corresponding guidelines will give the American people the confidence they need to begin returning to normal life. That's what we want. We want to have our country open. We want to return to normal life. Our country is going to be open, and it's going to be successfully opened. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. The president feeling a bit of pep in his step once again here, feeling a bit of fire, perhaps return in the belly, recognizing that we cannot stay in this current state and that inertia is our enemy. We must be planning. We must be strategizing coming up with what the next moves should be. We've already been put into April lockdown month. Is is this the right thing to do? There'll be plenty of time to debate that at a later date. Now it's how do we get out of the lockdown? And how soon can we do it safely? Yes, everybody wants safety. I'm noticing a trend where the only people that are willing to uh, assume that other human beings based on nothing other than the desire to get the economy open, that other human beings don't care about human life. This tends to come from Trump's critics, almost like it's an effort to silence anyone who has a different idea about what would be best for the country, because all of the anti-Trump feelings of the last few years have been focused in on this moment in time. This is viewed as the culmination of the narratives of Trump's evil Trump's incompetence, all the things that the left has been saying about him. Now is the moment for them to strike and to finish off this administration with one final push of Trump derangement syndrome. We'll get into some of the journo back and forth just because it really is is for entertainment factor at some level now. I mean, journalists as a class have completely and, and utterly disgraced themselves, not all journalists, but the The profession of journalism is never going to be the same again. Everyone thinks that Trump undid them. I think that it's really more Twitter and the Internet. We see what they think and who they are and they can't hide it. And now we can find it. You know, you can see these people that expose their agenda and then try to turn around and say, oh, I just retweets don't equal endorsements. You know, the the most pathetic nonsense imaginable. But we have more important issues than the journals for right now even though the journalists don't think there is such a thing as more important than them. 
They're the center of every universe, the center of all discussion. The issue of when to reopen, how to reopen, and who will make that call has come up quite a lot now. Uh, This is at the center of the issue. Now, let's understand this. On the one hand, Trump has been trashed for not shutting down the country sooner. That's the story. That's what you're supposed to think of whenever culpability for this situation comes up. Whenever there's a discussion about who made good decisions and who didn't, the media wants you to believe that and the Democratic Party and certainly Trump's opponent now in the in the election, Joe Biden, because Bernie has dropped off and endorsed Biden, no less. It's uh, remarkable who who sold out sooner. I was seeing this one trending uh, or, or making the rounds on Twitter. Who sold out sooner? All the paper products in your local store or Bernie Sanders? And his uh, the apparatus around him. I think we all know. Well, you can come up with your own answer on that one. Uh, but the, the president has been trying to. Well, the, the, the president has been accused of not shutting down the country soon enough. And now we're in the midst of a discussion about whether or not the country should reopen. And the journos have just switched right away. It's gone from Trump didn't lock the country down soon enough. Therefore, he's a bad man. Orange man, bad. The most bad orange man. To without missing a beat, Trump doesn't have the authority to reopen the country. Okay, now there are a few there are a few things going on at once here. Let's just establish this. I mean, from a from a pure constitutional perspective, it is, in fact, from a a rule of law perspective, it is the case that the states have police powers, quarantine powers, not the federal government. The federal government has power over borders, trying to help federal agencies develop a vaccine, assisting states where it can. What it's been doing, that is what the federal government can do. It is up to the states. You know, Professor uh, Robbie George down at at Princeton University had this quick thread that I wanted to share with you on this. Now, it might sound it's a little dry, but necessary context, I think, for our conversation now, because then we'll get into. Well, hold on a second. If this is the reality, then how can Trump be blamed? They they will pretend that there is no clear delineation here because one day it'll be Trump is doing too much. The next day it'll be Trump is doing too little. The Constitution to the libs doesn't matter. But let's first let's first establish what is true here. And this is courtesy of Professor George. In my constitutional interpretation course at Princeton, the first thing I do is explain the difference between the authority of the national government as a government of delegated and enumerated powers and the authority of the states as governments of general jurisdiction. States possess police powers to protect public health, safety, and morals and advance the common good. The national government possesses no such plenary authority. Plenary means effectively absolute, you know, uncontested authority. Nor are the powers of the states delegated to them by or derivative of powers of the national government. Uh, The Constitution's Tenth Amendment is simply a reminder that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. The second thing I do in the course is to explain the differences between executive and legislative authority. I note the distinction sometimes can become fuzzy at the edges, 
but that should not be permitted to obscure the fact that it is usually clear enough. Congress and state legislatures ought not to try to execute the laws they make, nor should they purport to remove by legislation authority constitutionally conferred upon the executive. Presidents and governors ought not to legislate. That's not their job. And when they do it, they violate their oath, the oath of office and become usurpers. Uh, so this is very straightforward analysis. He's correct, right? Professor Robbie George, a very learned fellow down at Princeton. And he's explaining what the separation is that we're seeing play out in real time now. The states are the ones that have authority to quarantine the lockdowns. The president has has claimed a lockdown at the federal level, but that has far less effect on us. You know, he's he's promoted a lockdown at the federal level, but that has far less effect on us. It can be for federal agencies, for federal parks, for all the things. You know, really think of what the federal government does. Borders, huge, huge issue. Inter, you know, uh, travel, interstate travel and international travel can certainly could certainly be affected, has been affected in the case of international travel. But. The states are the ones that are making the big calls here. And that's why there is an interesting situation emerging there. There's a, an effort underway, as you know, to make sure that this finishes, that this virus, no matter what the final casualty count is, no matter what the final damage is to the economy, this is supposed to finish off Trump. This is supposed to be the undoing of his administration and some members of the of the left and the press and the in the establishment can barely hide their glee at that opportunity. I mean, they are overjoyed because they know that with, with the way the world was before the Chinese virus ravaged the whole globe, with the way the world was, we were facing a very likely re-election in former years of Donald Trump. Based on the policy, policies that he had made as president of the United States, you know, with the economy, national security, everything we had seen going on. So now's their big opportunity. The problem they have, is the more we become aware of what the timeline was of the various warnings or lack thereof, the more that we see that state and local officials who had a much more clear and imminent responsibility to their local populations to protect them from disease, from, from the spread of a pandemic like this, that they weren't just wrong, they were egregiously wrong. They were aggressively stupid. In their response to this, California, New York, a whole bunch of places. Now, California is lucky, hasn't been hit as hard, but the San Francisco uh, public health authorities were very, in the early stages, very wrong about this. The problem that they're going to have now by trying to make this all an effort to destroy Trump is that we can see that nobody was telling him early on, early enough to make this not a problem for America. And it's really not clear that that could ever be the case. What are we going to do? maintain an international shutdown and maintain a lockdown nationwide for how long? Right. I mean, that's what what would what would the game plan truly have been? But a couple of problems come up. One, you can imagine they would call Trump a tyrant if he had tried to do it before we had a single casualty. And he's been very explicit about this before we have a single dead person from this virus on U.S. soil out of 330 million people. He's going to shut down the whole country. Look, I, I don't think shutting down the whole country was the right move even knowing what we know now about the virus. I think that a limited place-by-place, uh, case-by-case uh, mitigation, shutdown, whatever you want to call it, but measures place-by-place 
would have been a more effective. And the, the evidence is mounting. I would note that that is true, that the across the board shutdown policy and also sending everyone, especially sending children, young people who are at almost no risk from this virus home to be with elderly relatives in major cities was a horrible idea. And that nosocomial inf- infection, the spread of this uh, disease at hospitals which is where a lot of people were going to get tested. And most of them that were showing up to be tested didn't have the virus. But guess what? They got it while they were waiting in that ER, while they were waiting to see. Uh, there were huge mistakes made all along the way here. But but back to the, the issue of, of Trump, the administration and the government that we currently have. They can't tell us that he doesn't have the authority now, but he did have the authority then. So they've created a problem in their narrative. And here's the other problem that they have to deal with. They can't tell us that it's going to be Trump's fault when certain states, if certain states soon reopen aspects, uh, components of their economy. It can't be Trump's fault if it's up to the governor. And Trump has already said that this is something he's working with the various governors on. So what are they trying to do? Bait him into saying things because they know that Trump's ego is a place where if you go, you're going to get some sweeping statements. So they get him. They try to back him into a corner and get him to say some bluster about how, you know, he is the alpha and the omega. You know, this, he is the state. L'état, c'est moi. Stuff like that. Because they recognize that if he does leave it to the governors, which is what's going to end up really largely happening, he can he can encourage. But if it's up to the governors, it's going to be on Governor Cuomo, whatever happens. They're not going to be able to just blame Trump. This is on the state. So the rediscovery of federalism that the media has engaged in right now, just like when they rediscover the Constitution for a day, when they when when they think it favors them and then they forget all about it. Uh, But the rediscovery of federalism is going to be a problem for them because it's not it it doesn't support the narrative that they're trying to construct of Trump is the, the person that should be held responsible for all of this. And yet he has the power to handle none of this. They've they've stumbled into it and they're going to do whatever they can. They're going to shriek and yell and, you know, try to shout people down and on Twitter, go after them and all this other stuff. But ultimately, we can see that they got a problem here. This is not a couple of things have happened, as I've said. One is he can't not have the power to shut down now, but had the power to shut down a few months ago. But beyond that, they also are trying to blame him for being so terrible in their response. And we see that states are largely responsible for their own uh, for their own populations on this issue of, of disease and mitigation and other countries at the national level including across Europe, including socialist uh, socialist healthcare systems are per capita far worse off than we are. So who's incompetent here? Who's been so terrible? Who's so awful? Well, it doesn't matter what the facts say. They're going to tell you that it's Trump, but they've created a challenge for themselves that I don't think they're going to be able to get out of here. And you'll see the panic set in as things start to get better. And as people recognize that, Blaming all of this on Trump is not a fair minded or, or honest thing to do. There's a lot of blame to go around for a lot of people. And Trump has a lot less blame, I would argue, than many of the state and local officials that have been involved in this. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for, for the, the left. They're going to have to come up with something else here. So be prepared for mountains of dishonesty from them. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The first and only time that Dr. Burks and I went in and formally made a recommendation to the president to actually have a, quote, shutdown in the sense of not really shutdown, but to really have strong mitigation. We discussed it. Obviously, there would be concern by some that, in fact, that might have some negative consequences. Nonetheless, the president listened to the recommendation and went to the mitigation. The next second time that I went with Dr. Burks into the president and said, 15 days are not enough. We need to go 30 days. Obviously, there were people who had a problem with that because of the potential secondary effects. Nonetheless, at that time, the president went with the health recommendations. I just want to know at at what point did the talking point is no longer usable by the left, that the president doesn't listen to experts, doesn't do what they say, doesn't. And I would argue probably listen to experts too much on this one. I'm not an expert, but I can read and look at numbers and look at predictions. We'll talk about our overwhelmed hospitals right now nationwide. Uh, They're not overwhelmed. We'll talk about the shortage of ventilators that does not exist. Now, I'm not this is not a way of saying this is not serious. This is not a terrible virus. Of course, it's terrible. It's awful. We're all in lockdown. Lots of people are dying. It's a grotesque horror show that this country is being put through. But we've also got to make smart decisions to get through this. And part of making smart decisions is dealing with reality and looking at what has been true and what hasn't and who has been right and who isn't. Uh, but Fauci told the president, OK, this is what we need. And the president did it. So just I, I, I want to get that on the record for all of us, because it's so easy. The media is going to say all this stuff about how the president doesn't listen to experts and he thinks he's an emperor and all this other stuff. It's all crap. It's all noise. It's meaningless babble from the most idiotic babblers, the chiefs of nincompoopery who are our mainstream media. The most unimpressive, overpaid group of crybabies I've ever seen in my life. The elite media in this country. But they're doing everything they can to take down Trump. Make no mistake about it. That has not changed one bit. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If President Trump orders you to reopen New York on some date, what do you do? If he ordered me to reopen in a way that would endanger the uh, public health of the people of my state, I wouldn't do it. Uh, And we would have a a constitutional challenge between the state and the federal government. uh, And that would go into the courts. And that would be the worst possible thing he could do at this moment would be uh, to act dictatorial, Uh, and to act in a partisan, divisive way. Keep the politics out of it. He's not trying to be political, Cuomo. He's trying to prevent the Great Depression Part 2 from happening. With all the death and misery and despair and destruction of hopes and dreams and future generations, all that stuff that comes with the Depression, the president's trying to avoid that. Wants to help you avoid that in your state, where I am sitting right now, and in the midst of a city that clearly was not prepared uh, for this, did not know what it was doing in the early handling of this, and has become 
are ver- has become America's version of Northern Italy, the cautionary tale that everybody else looks at and says, oh, my gosh, you mean that could happen? So Cuomo here is saying that he doesn't want the president to, to give an order. Now, the president is unlikely to give an order. He will say that at the federal level, there will be a reopening, a lessening of some of mitigation, and that this is what the task force recommends. But yes, states will be in a position to do or not do some of the things that the president will at that stage recommend. Assuming, I would note, that he does not get pushed once more to abandon the, you know, this is going to be, don't think that this is a done deal, my friends, that May is going to come around and people are going to say, yeah, okay, I mean, things are better now, the numbers are better, let's reopen the economy. There, there is a whole... There's a whole group now. There, there is a, a powerful movement online and among the media to shut down for as long as shut down until we have a cure. Shut down until no one will die from this. This is what they say, which is a stupid position. We don't have that for any other public health issue. Stay in your homes or else somebody may die from this. Right. You know, everyone should understand. Not everyone does that indefinite lockdown is impossible, not desirable and insane. But. There are people that are willing to right now, at least they think that there is a a virtue signaling and a moral consistency from saying that they'll do anything. It does not matter. Whatever economic pain we have to suffer through is completely justified if it saves one life. That's what they'll tell us. So don't think that the president is is in the clear by trying to get the economy back open. There are going to be a lot of folks out there. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to try to use this as an opportunity, if nothing else, to bait the president into some kind of a mistake or to spread a narrative that this president is being reckless, even though it'll be governors that are making the final call on this one. And you can tell that some of the politics is seeping back into the conversation now. You know, they're all going to be angling. They're all going to be trying to mold perception here. Or you got Cuomo saying things like this. Play five. We had this argument. It was done a long time ago. People by the name of Hamilton and Jefferson and Madison and Washington, uh, and they concluded this. They wrote a document that's called the uh, Constitution of the United States, uh, and it is an explicit and intricate balance of power between the federal government and the state governments. Uh, and it says uh, the federal government does not have absolute power. It says the exact opposite that the president said. Uh, It says that would be a king. We would have had King George Washington. And we didn't have King George Washington. And we don't have King Trump. We have President Trump. Uh, And remember, the colonies created the federal government. The states created the federal government, not the other way around. We have the Tenth Amendment that is explicit. Certain responsibilities are state responsibilities. Health, welfare, quarantine, those are health responsibilities. So the president should not even think of going there. Uh, That would be divisive and political And it would be totally contrary to everything we've been trying to do by working in a cooperative fashion. Health, quarantine, these are state functions, Governor Cuomo says. How well has he executed those functions here in New York with now thousands and thousands dead? How how well has that helped? I'm just wondering if we're going to do this, who's responsible for what? Do we think that New York, the state of New York, was well prepared for this? The lack of ventilators that turned out not to be, fortunately, not to be the crisis we were told by Cuomo that it would be. Who, who was responsible for making sure there was enough in that stockpile in case we had a pandemic event like we are currently going through? Remember this little 
somewhat rudimentary speech about the Constitution that you are getting here from Governor Cuomo. Remember this going forward because it has been liberals who in recent decades and particularly under the Obama administration decided that the executive branch could do whatever it wanted to do and states were in no position to resist. You must do what the federal government tells you to do. They wanted to do this with the expansion of Medicaid, for example. You must put more people on Medicaid, which you will be paying a portion of as a state, or else we'll pull all of your Medicaid funding. Even the Supreme Court, 5-4, in the Obamacare decision initially had to shut that one down. It is liberals who think that by using the interstate commerce clause, they can get away with a dictatorial federal government that tells states what their business climate can be, what their emission standards can be. All anything that touches on the environment has effectively been federalized now. There are so many areas of our lives and, and of the law where there's overreach at the federal level. And it's overwhelmingly the left and the Democrats who do that. Now we're getting lectures about federalism because they don't want Trump to be able to make this decision for them. Now, here's the so I, I would just want you to note they do seem right now. They seem to understand the, the Democrats have rediscovered federalism for the day. I assure you they will forget it next month, next year. Just give me the time frame. But for right now, states have rights. Ooh, and the Constitution is a real thing that we should respect. I'm so glad to see that they've learned a few things in the last few years. When their person's not in charge, when it's not a Democrat, then all of a sudden there are, there are separation, there's separation of powers. When there's a Democrat in charge in the White House, it's all obstruction. And it must be done with a pen and a phone, even if the Congress won't act. It's all obstruction. How dare you not do what I tell you to do? That was their attitude. And the press was all, yes, yes, whatever Obama says is perfect. These people are, like I said, they're idiots, but that's the reality of it right now. So the, the issue that we have to deal with now, or the, the issue that will come up, though, is uh, for the states that do start a reopening and are in better, assuming that this plays out the way that I think it will, where, where governors will be the ones who are making the you know governor of Texas, governor of Colorado, governor of Michigan, governor of California, you know, that these different states are all going to have determinations made uh, by the governors, by the, you know, by, by the executive authorities in those states. And let's say that Texas does start to reopen, which Governor Abbott has already discussed this. It seems likely that Texas will be one of the first. If Texas starts to reopen and you don't have some big spike in cases, and it's clear there's a greater return to normalcy, well, then there's just going to be pressure on other states that are in the severe lockdown mode to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this as well. You know, it's already, I mean, I think all the time about how I, one of the, one of the great mistakes of my adulthood has been living, living entirely in blue states. It's just a function of where I was born and my career uh, opportunities, you know, CIA and then media, New York, D.C. That's the way that it's been. But living in a red state would have had a lot of advantages. And I think people are going to see going forward that the uh, the more Republican run states tend to be more fact based and and reasonable on a lot of this than some of the more blue states where populations have been fed this 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 steady diet of hysteria about not just hysteria about the virus, but also that that these lockdowns clearly work. 
This is what we're told. And I want to talk about this later on the show. Okay, I mean, the lockdown has has helped. Did we have to go to this extent? Are we are we not allowed to? Other countries have not gone to this extent, and they're in as good a position, if not better, than countries that did go to this extent. So we're not supposed to notice this or have a conversation about it. It's going to be a lot of a lot of back and forth in the next few weeks on this issue, my friends. So just remember what is said today, because the people that are telling you to listen to them, to bend the knee to the experts, to be silent when you're told what to do, they will also tell you something different next week about what you should do. And if you ask them, hey, what changed? They'll say, be quiet, do as you're told. The smart people are speaking. That's what they're going to say to you. The experts, the wise counsel. Uh, not on my watch. Not going to get away with that without some pushback. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let, let me just say it very simple. I'm going to put it very simply. The president of the United States has the authority to do what the president has the authority to do, which is very powerful. The president of the United States calls the shots. If we weren't here for the states, you would have had a problem in this country like you've never seen before. We were here to back them up, and we back it. We've more than backed them up. We did a job that nobody ever thought was possible. It's a decision for the president of the United States. Now, with that being said, we're going to work with the states because it's very important. You have local governments. They're pinpointed. It's really, you talk about, it's a, like a microchip. They're pinpointed. We have local government that hopefully will do a good job. And if they don't do a good job, I'd step in so fast. But no, they can't do anything without the approval of the president of the United States. All right. Now, this is where there's so much focus right now. And, and yes, I mean, the president, because he, he is... This is my continuing assessment of this president. He is right on the on the major substance. He can be uh, sloppy or or even a little bit. He can be a combination of sloppy or verbose on the details. And he in this case, when he says that the. It, look, it's just the Trump way of speaking. And we're all, you know, journalists who are supposed to make a living communicating and understanding things and, you know, making sense of the world for other people to help them make better decisions. The journalists are not really so dumb that they don't understand what Trump is trying to say. He's saying, look, we need a coordinated, unified response. This is a, a, a problem that affects the whole country. We're going to work with the states, but we got to, you know, we got to get moving on this one. And maybe that means that Trump's going to say, OK, certain states we're going to assume we're going to move a little faster than others, but we're going to also give them federal backstopping. And this is going to be something that involves. I thought we were told this is an all hands on deck situation. Right. And now the, the, the problem you're seeing is that there are going to be a lot of, of libs out there who aren't sure. Is it better to make it seem like Trump is being a tyrant by trying to have, you know, by, by taking this authority and leading this effort? Is that more advantageous to them or is it more advantageous to let governors do it themselves and push Trump out, try to push Trump out of the decision making process, knowing that then states would be taking risks that would be harder to blame on Trump? They're just they're not sure how to cover this because they don't know what is posing the greatest political risk to the president. It's tough. You know, they got to decide now. Okay, so is it up to the states or is the president leading this effort? They don't really know. And then the president says some Trumpian things 
that are not that are that are imprecise. He can be infelicitous. It's a fun word. He can be infelicitous sometimes in the way he describes things. We know what he's saying. He's not. All right. If he were a dictator or wanted to be a dictator, he has been handed a once in a century opportunity to seize power in this country. And yet he hasn't been seizing power at all. He's been like, okay, what do the states need? How do we keep people safe? Let's get businesses back open. Let's keep small businesses alive. Let's let's leave as much individual freedom as we can while still being safe with regard to public health. He's shown the people that have been telling you that Trump was a fascist or dictator in the making for the last four years are, are just complete liars and, and absolute morons. There's nothing there's no dictatorial impulse from his president at all. But he also the guy's got a healthy ego and he knows that he's the president and he understands that there's a role for the federal government to play here in trying to coordinate a response that does affect all 50 of the states. And so, you know, that's why he, he said this, which was, again, imprecise. But the press is pounding him on this today. Play 16. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. Your authority is total. It's total. It's total. And the governors know that. So if a, if a the governors know that. Now you have a couple of bands of, of, excuse me, excuse me. You have a couple. Could you rescind that order? You have a couple of bands of, uh, of uh, Democrat governors, but they will agree to it. They will agree to it. But uh, the authority of the president of the United States having to do with the subject we're talking about is total. Having to do with the subject we're talking about. That's an area where there's going to be some debate as to what he really means by that. But all they hear is, oh, the authority of the president is is total. If that were the case, why would he be saying they're going to work with the states and and they're they're talking to them and trying to coordinate a response with them? If he really believed that the authority was total in the way that it is being relayed in the media, he would just say, you know, he would just send out a this is what you're doing to every single state and tell them exactly what's going on. And that hasn't been the case. In fact, there are some states that are still at a different level of lockdown than others. So there's been a largely one size fits all lockdown policy, which I think has been ill, ill thought out. Uh, that's just my my estimation based on what we see and what the data says. But that was pushed by the experts that was pushed by the epidemiologists that was not pushed by President Trump. Uh, he, he fell in line with what he was being told to do and, and told to promote at the at the national level. That's a different thing from making his own determination about what he thinks the future uh, the future should be in, in fighting it back against this pandemic. Uh, so look, the, the, the president is going to get we realize this. He's going to get heat no matter what he does. And it's going to be unfair heat. Right. Look, could this have been better? Of course. There's no way you look at a, cir- a circumstance like this. It would be like if we were fighting a war. Every every country that fights a war, there are mistakes that are made. There are tragedies that happen. Bad things go down, right? No, no good plan survives first contact. No plan, rather, survives first contact with the enemy. And our plan did not survive very long contact with this virus. And we had to adapt very rapidly. The president did adapt. He's worked very well with the states. Our hospital system did not get overwhelmed to say that it would. The numbers do not look like they'll be anywhere near as dire in terms of deaths from this, as we were told, even three weeks ago. So there's there's a lot to look at here and say, all right, progress being made. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. My only, my only point is saying this because I want to get back to why we're here. Uh, the press has not treated these incredible people who've done such a great job. They haven't treated them fairly. They're way off. We were way ahead of schedule. And remember this, because the time story was a fake. But everything, remember this, everything we did, I was criticized because I was too early. If I waited longer, it would have been, you would have been, if I went way early, if I went three months earlier, I would have been criticized, you know, criticized for being way too early. So with all of that being said, we understand it. Uh, I think I've educated a lot of people as to the press. And I would love to be able to say that we have a very honest press. Honestly, John, there'd be nothing I would be more proud of if the press would work. And I don't mind being criticized, but not when they're wrong. Not when people have done a great job. The president uh, decided to go on offense during the press conference for the task force, the coronavirus task force yesterday. And boy, oh boy, rarely would I tell you it might be worthwhile to go back and watch the actual back and forth. But the president's just had enough. He's had enough of the games, the childishness, the, the nonsense of the journos is something that the president has just, he no longer has any tolerance for it. He just doesn't want to hear it from them anymore. So he, here's what he did. And I, I was going to play it for you, but it's, re, it's a really long, you know, it's about three or four minutes long. And that's just too much for the, our radio purposes here. But he rolled out a video before the press conference. He rolled out a video where he had various journalists at the biggest networks coming out and saying that, coronavirus was not going to be that big of a deal, shouldn't overreact to it. It's not going to be as bad as the flu, you know, a lot of this. And, and then there was just a series of announcements from the president with the date at the bottom of the screen, starting with the travel ban. The, and then he gets into, you know, the emergency declaration. Uh, he just the various decisions that he made along the way based upon what the experts were saying and based upon what he was being told was was necessary here. And so you, you have a, a president who is sick of allowing partisans to pretend that they're just bringing people facts and truth. He, he doesn't he doesn't want to play that game anymore because they're not just bringing facts and truth. Uh, he knows that this is for them. A, a really a personal jihad. I mean, this is the effort of so many different journalists who feel like they've been snubbed and their role in the world is not what they thought it would be. And they don't have the access to the White House they would have had under Hillary Clinton. And he calls them out for their crap. He calls them on it. And they don't like that. And many of them view this moment, this moment of national crisis Remember, it's a virus crisis and an economic crisis. So when I say crisis, it's really a moment of crises, two terrible things happening at the same time. And, and perhaps a third of unprecedented government overreach that, well, right now doesn't feel to some people like it's really that concerning. I think the precedent that has been set here is very concerning, but we'll hold off on that for a moment. The president decided he's, he's had enough. He's had enough of the nonsense. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. And this stretches to a whole bunch of different issues. But, you know, they, they played that video 
and you have some CBS reporter, just an, another interchangeable, entitled, bratty hack, get into an exchange with the president that went something like this. Play 19. The argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals. You didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right you're so, now, you're so, you're so disgraceful. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. Let, let me just, listen, I just went over it. I just went over it. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it. But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know, the we month did. of February. That, you that know video we did. Gap. What do you do? What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when in you, you excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January seventeenth. January, February, the entire January. Month of February, I said in January. Has a complete gap on January thirtieth. What did your administration do in February for the time that your travel ban bought a you? Lot. A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. We did a lot. Look, look. You know you're a fake. You know that your whole network, the way you cover it, is fake. And most of you, and not all of you, but the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. This is a classic Trump moment. And I know people say, oh, he shouldn't be getting into the into the gutter with these journalists on this and he's the president and this is no i'm sorry the the old rules that we used to play by on the right involved you know whether it was bush or or romney good heavens or or mccain or any of these other standard bearers of the would-be standard bearers of the republican party in office uh, the old rules were let the press just attack you malign you undermine you destroy you and you sit there and say well you know they're they're the fourth estate and so I don't I don't want to be viewed as in any way, uh, you know, going going too hard on them right now. And no, I'm sorry. This this CBS reporter is editorializing like she's an MSNBC nighttime host. She's editorializing against the president of the United States in the West Wing in a moment when we should be hearing useful information How is it useful to have a debate with the president about whether he did enough or not in February? It's April. Why is that the focus? Oh, because that's for for the CBS viewership and for the mainstream media. And if you want to get, you know, DMs on Twitter from the big name blue check journos, if you want to get the, you know, the attaboy or the attagirl from the rest of your fancy colleagues that are the are the people most celebrated at clown fests like the. White House Correspondents Dinner and crap like that. Oh, I guess they're not having that this year. What a shame. Uh, the, the people that want information and want honest, objective journalism don't get it from these morons. So why shouldn't the president dress them down in this way when they're being uh, so... Uh, that, does anyone really think that wasn't disrespectful? Just imagine for a moment if anyone had ever interrupted, berated, and challenged St. Obama when he was speaking from the podium as President of the United States on an issue of real national security importance, an issue of life and death. Do you think anybody would have ever said, you know, oh, St. Obama, what you're saying is a bunch of crap and you're lying? I I don't know why we're supposed to just take punches in the face on the right. Why why Republicans have to accept getting dropkicked all the time well, the, and, and then some of our own side will say, no, we can't fight the way that they do. No, I'm sorry. There's too much. There's too much at stake. 
to, to think that we have to be an, an, a, a party of hall monitors who don't want to play rough and don't want to sneak out of class no matter how much fun the party is at the beach. Like, no, sorry, enough is enough. And you know, I, I think the president here is absolutely correct in, in slapping this nonsense down. Why, why allow this to go on? And if you think that wasn't enough nonsense, oh, I've got more for you. Here's, here's what a journalist, and Trump isn't the only one who feels the need to tell them what's what. Here is a, a journo, for example, who is um, asking a question of Dr. Fauci that this, this is not a good faith question. This is an, an assault on the administration disguised as an actual journalistic inquiry. All right, here's what was asked. Play clip one. Are you doing this voluntarily or did no, the president I'm doing do it? it. I, everything I do is voluntarily, please. Don't even imply that. You think Dr. Fauci should have to say that? This guy's got a lot of weighty decisions on his, on his mind. A lot of uh, conflicting evidence and theories. And I know we're not supposed to challenge the experts on anything, but the experts, I can't tell you how many doctors now I've talked to have said, we really don't understand this virus very well. And we really are making decisions based on very crappy data. Big national level decisions with huge implications. We don't have the data to support them, but everyone's scared. Everyone's panicking. And nobody wants to be the one that says, stop panicking, because if you do that, now you want old people to die. This is what they tell you. And no one wants that to be said about them, you know, particularly moral and ethical people. That really stings from when you think, wait a second, am I being am I am, am I being uh, a little bit uh, callous in my calculation here? Am I being? No, I mean, we're we should be able to have a discussion about this in good faith. But that that does not happen. It doesn't happen because there are people who operate from a place of dishonesty and bending others to their will and leveraging tragedy and difficult circumstances to that end, that's what's going on. That's what they're doing. Dr. Fauci is, why would she ask him if this is a voluntary thing? It's like, Dr. Fauci, are you making a hostage video here? I mean, do you even want to work for the Trump administration? This is the kind of stuff that he's being asked. And notice his response. He says, don't even imply that. He's like, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Like a bunch of little idiot children. That's what journalists are. A bunch of little morons who don't know anything and don't understand anything and are babies. And what's amazing is that the journalists are always talking about how Trump is a baby. This is what psychologists call projection. Play clip six. You definitely saw the, uh, the president backed into a corner yesterday, and you see what happens. I mean, he just starts talking about all of his power and acts like a little baby, uh, to use his language. Uh, journalists act like babies. Yeah, the president's got a big ego, and he can be a little sensitive sometimes about things, but they've also been trying to ruin him and his family for the last four years, lie about him. The Russia collusion thing was a total scam, a top-to-bottom scam, even more evidence now about that. You know, I haven't really talked to you about it on the show, but the FBI is like, yeah, we, the, the whole premise for Crossfire Hurricane was that Papadopoulos said something to a guy in a bar about maybe having the emails early. But they also had an informant, because they're running informants against the Trump campaign, as we know. They had an informant who heard from Papadopoulos, the same informant, I believe, but um, I, need, I need to check on that part. Uh, Papadopoulos said, no, there's no way that we were involved in hacking emails or doing any of that stuff. That's crazy. That would be illegal. 
Oh, they said that sounded rehearsed. This just came out recently from the inspector general because the notes, some of the, the classified footnotes from the IG report have been released now. Yeah, that's right. So when when the source here, Papadopoulos, says something that's useful to the FBI investigation, known at the highest levels, of course, to try to target the Trump campaign, that is completely valid. And we got to But when the same source talking about the same subject says something that undercuts the whole narrative, it, quote, sounds rehearsed to the agents. I mean, as if as if we're all so stupid, it was a scam. They abused their authority. They abused law enforcement discretion. They lied. They stacked the uh, the FISA warrants with with garbage. They the whole thing was a fraud. It was a soft coup attempt against the president of the United States. And they were trying to get his family ensnared in this. They wanted to remember when New York, New York State uh, and and the southern uh, not the southern district, the uh, uh, district attorney for for New York City was talking about maybe trying to find a way to bring state or city, you know, state or city charges against the president or his family members so that then it couldn't be pardoned. I mean, they were really going after this guy. So, yeah, you know what? I'd be a little sensitive, too. I'd be a little sensitive about the journalists who are running around lying about me being a traitor, like the total idiots that they are, lying about how I cheated in the election, lying about how I'm a dictator, lying about how I've you know, sexually assaulted women, all the things that they've been saying. I, I, don't, I wonder if, if at some point a human being, a normal human being, not Trump, just an everyday, everyday guy, uh, would have a nervous breakdown. You know? And I don't just mean everyday guy. Another Republican put in this role, another elected official would probably collapse under all this. It's just crazy what they've done to him. And so now he's got the weight of this whole coronavirus fight on his shoulders. And instead of just getting information and asking, look, there are relevant questions that are asked. I'm not saying there aren't journalists who do try to do a pretty decent job of getting information. Of course there are. But some of these journalists are just the worst. And I keep telling you this. It's true. Journalists are among the worst people in professional life in America. And journalism is a profession that has been tainted, it has been tainted beyond salvation by libs. The same way that the academy, the same way that colleges now, undergraduate institutions, liberal arts colleges, we're all starting to figure out, what do people really learn at these places? What are you learning at a liberal arts college that you wouldn't be able to learn if you just, you know, look, you you do need a level of education. You know, you, you need to be able to get up to reading, writing, and math parity that you would have from... Uh, you know, a decent high school level education. I mean, you do need some instruction and study. I'm not telling everybody to just be an autodidact and try to learn on your own, but homeschooling can do it. Being self-taught can take you a long way. There's so much out there that isn't $55,000 a year of tuition to go to some third tier school. You know, one of the problems is journalists, overwhelmingly third tier students from third tier colleges and universities who have a chip on their shoulder about it, and now they desperately want to be part of the cool club. Desperately. Oh, please, just give me a pat on the head from MSNBC. I just want to feel smart. Just tell me how smart I am. Tell me how I'm saving the republic by trashing Trump. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We were discussing today at the task force that When you look at the European Union as a whole, they have nearly three times the mortality rate that the United States of America has today. And that is a tribute to our extraordinary healthcare workers, 
their dedication, their tireless work. But it's also a tribute to the fact that the American people put into practice the mitigation efforts that the president counseled the nation to do on the advice of our best scientists now more than a month ago. And our hospitals were not overwhelmed and are not overwhelmed at this hour. It's a very important, uh, a series of very important points there. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. That was, we were told, that was really the, the, the big concern of a few weeks ago. That was why we were told you have to go into lockdown, have to bring down the curve. Now we're told really that bringing down the curve is more a function of just limiting uh, to the greatest extent possible spread of this virus and the casualties from it, uh, more so than specifically addressing the issue of hospital capacity. Well, hmm, that uh, that is a change, and it's one that we shouldn't just go past without noting. And the other point that he makes here, I think, is so important for everyone to remember that we have uh, one third the mortality rate of major European countries that are that are fighting against this virus. How many years now have we been told that European healthcare systems are better than ours? That they're more state controlled and, and even socialist. So, I mean, the, the Britain has a socialist healthcare system. They control. They, they pay the doctors. They control the medicine. It is so, It is a socialized sector of healthcare. How much? Uh, you know, when when you look at this now, when you see the numbers, it's quite clear that America's more free market, not free market, but more free market approach to healthcare will end up having saved many, many lives here. And I think that this will be an important, not just an important testament to how good our doctors, nurses, and uh, EMS and frontline healthcare personnel across the board are, but also that having a robust and strong economy and having market incentives in the healthcare system saves lives. We all need to remember that one going forward. It's important because there are literally lives at stake. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team, for your listening enjoyment, we have the one and only Ann Coulter joining us now. She is the author of not one, not two, not three, 13, in fact, New York Times bestsellers, uh, of which I have actually read all of them, so that's always kind of fun. And thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Buck Sexton. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter. Thank you so much. Uh, these days, it's, uh, it's kind of lonely when you point, point things out on Twitter about how the so-called experts... I've, I've just been asking the question, not just on Twitter, but also of other doctors I know, what exactly do these people know who are making the calls? And behind closed doors... Other brilliant doctors will, in fact, tell you they really don't know very much. What do you make of all this, Ed? <laughs> yes, and this is obviously not a scientific sample, but um, I do have a lot of doctor friends, and they don't even know one another, um, both in L.A. and New York. And I've noticed that, by and large, <laughs> um, in fact, 100% of my doctor friends are um, – think that the reaction is somewhat exaggerated and all of my non-doctor friends are freaking out scaredy cats yeah no i'm well i'm saying are you i'm gonna ask which state are you in during this lockdown um mostly california new york is unlivable yeah new york is where i am and it's it's rough here right now so at least california is, is doing better with this but l let me ask you about 
how Trump is handling this whole thing. You know, you, you you've been somebody who uh, early on everyone knows early on. You said that Trump had something special. I'll never forget the Bill Maher, uh, the, the Bill Maher call that you made about how he was the most likely one to win. And that now you've had criticism for Trump when he's messed up on things. How's he doing now on this? That's a really good question. Um, it was funny. Early yesterday, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, I'm always making fun of these 3D chess people, but it looks like Trump is actually pulling it off here. He wants to open the country, doesn't want to get blamed for it. Um, and right now he's in a situation where the media is demanding that he open the country and saying he's dragging his feet. And this economic catastrophe is entirely on him. And, oh, we'll have to turn to the governors. And I thought, genius, that's how we reopen the country. I mean, however it's done, I assume, you know, bit by bit, some industries, um, until there's either a vaccine or enough testing to show that it's not as transmissible as believed which is possible we really we that's among the crucial data we don't have yet and then, man this guy is easy to play you could get donald trump to admit to participation in in a crime by saying no you just drive drove the getaway car right nope nope i shot the 7-eleven clerk that was me I mean, he did it with the Russia investigation. You will remember that. He goes through this whole procedure of getting, um, what's his name, Rod Rosenstein to write that letter saying we're getting rid of of James Comey because um, um, we think he made a lot of mistakes in, that, in the Hillary investigation and announcing it was back on and then announcing it was off and this, that, and the other thing. Um, so we're going to... We, we request that the FBI director be fired. And then Donald Trump, everything's great. It's going fine. And then Donald Trump goes on Lester Holt and says, oh, no, no, that was my decision. I decided to do it anyway. Yeah, it was because of this Russia stuff. Um, yeah, he has, a, he has an alpha to omega complex sometimes that comes out. And that's exactly what happened at the press conference. I mean, there were many great moments at the press conference. I love the aggressive Trump. Um, I would have put together a much better video, but it was okay. I liked him doing a video. I think he should do videos at all his press conferences. I love him being aggressive with these swine reporters who aren't reporters at all. They're, they're, they're like the liberals who show up at my college speeches, hectoring him. We're, we're not getting any news out of this. They're trying to become stars. Um, but, but, <laughs> yet and still, oh, they know how to manipulate him. Um, say, well, you don't have the authority to, to reopen the country. And what does he do? I have total authority to reopen the country. And by the way, my complaint here is not that he said something that is not technically constitutionally true. I mean, I understood what he meant. He clarified it within the confines of the press conference he's talking about in the context of a viral pandemic like this. Of course he has all sorts of, of methods to to um decide whether the country is going to be reopened fine if state doesn't want to reopen he can say well then you're not going to get any of this of this recovery money so i, I, I mean, think there are all sorts of things he can do that's not what i'm complaining about what i'm complaining about is he had just he had just eased with no no effort on his own the media had moved the decision of when and how to reopen the country off of President Trump and on to the governors. And no, they manipulate him into grabbing it right back. Well, this That's is my my point is that they don't they, they don't know. I think I think the press 
can't decide what the better situation is for bashing Trump. Because on, on, on the one hand, you know, they, they want him to be, you know, they, they don't want to admit that he's had a big role in this. Because what if, by the way, the reopening goes pretty well, right? What, what if right. he pushes for a reopening and, and it's not as bad as people said and he has, and now it looks like there'll be this big rise for him in the polls. But on the other hand, if they allow the governors to do this, well, if there's a catastrophe in one state or another, it was on the governor, right? So they don't know what they're rooting for. I think that's what you see in that press room. Um, they're not, they're going to bash him. You were at 100% right. No matter what he does, they're hysterical. He doesn't shut down, um, the country earlier and which is absurd, but, um, then he does it and they blame him for the results of the shutdown. Now they're saying reopen. He says, I have the authority to reopen. No, you don't have the authority. So it's true that whatever he does, um, they are going to say it's his fault, he did the wrong thing, he's a monster, an authoritarian. True, true, true. All that is true. Yet and still, he was in the position yesterday morning <laughs> of, of, of getting this, this off his plate. And it is, as you say, a Hobson's choice. Thing, bad things are happening right now with the government shutdown. But it, it, whomever, whenever it gets reopened, Every coronavirus death is going to be blamed on the politician who reopened the, the government. It doesn't matter how many lives were saved because the government, because we were allowed to go out and get fresh air and go to the beach and, um, and businesses don't go under and families aren't, aren't, aren't going, and, and family businesses and small businesses aren't going bankrupt. Those, those horrors and and deaths will not count only the coronavirus death will count so you don't want to be the politician in the in in the position of being the one to make the decision as of yesterday morning through no effort on his own <laughs> the media had politely moved that office plate as you say just to harangue him so why did he take it back for himself now it's now it's him again yeah, I, th- I think it was a mistake. I think you got to let the, I think letting the governors lead it and him backstopping, which is actually really from a federalism perspective, I think what should kind of happen. Uh, but that's a whole other com- from a medical perspective. Yeah, I mean, of course. A lot of these states, the ones that are being browbeaten by CNN and MSNBC, who have not um, gone through the, you know, full stay home, don't get fresh air, don't exercise, stay home and transmit viruses to one another. Um, they, they're, they're actually doing quite well. Different states are different. Yeah. <laughs> Rural communities are different from cities. Places with public transportation. I think public transportation, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but gosh, it sure seems noticeable in addition to things like spring break and Mardi Gras, one major transmission vector appears to be things like subways. Yes, and, and another thing that has been left out of this, and I don't know if you've had this uh, this. Uh, experience yet am but i keep seeing things that are written at least purportedly by by doctors uh, medium posts and other things that will pop up where doctors are theorizing or say anything that's that's against the the consensus right now which the consensus changes about this week to week you know masks being the best example like masks were not necessary then they were necessary then we need you know so so it's interesting to see that consensus shuts people down uh, but i see things that get pulled off the internet and two of the areas 
that I believe we're going to find out were really just overlooked in the panic to do the maximum here. You mentioned, uh, you know, transmission at home, intrafamilial transmission, particularly in New York. We're going to we're already seeing some of the data and the governor has mentioned this, but he doesn't want to get into it. That's been terrible. But also nosocomial infection inside the hospitals, telling everybody to show up to a hospital to get tested. This was a terrible idea. Yes. Yes. And and also to keep them in the hospital. I mean, much like a politician deciding whether to reopen, a doctor in an emergency room has to decide if somebody comes in showing, you know, symptoms of flash, um, you know, Chinese virus, flu, um, pneumonia, um, what's he going to do? You're going to give him a hospital bed. Um, You'd be mad not to give him a hospital bed. Whereas during normal times, they might say, okay, we're taking the test. We're sending you home with this, with this oxygen breather and, and I don't know, Tamiflu, um, and we'll give you a call in a couple of days. Yeah, get them out of the hospital. Yeah. That, that would be the better thing to do, but you, can you imagine doing it now? What if the person goes home and dies? Yeah, be, be, before, before COVID-19, and I, I've been saying this on my show just so people can really know that it's an important statistic, 80 to 100,000 people every year die from, a, from an infection that they, want, that they got in the hospital. That's a lot of people. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's worth, worth yeah, noting. It's like the old, um, you know, the, the John Lott points on, on guns. <laughs> Liberals always say, um, you know, um, people who own guns are more likely to be shot in their own neighborhoods. Um, well, I think that's why they have the gun. Right. <laughs> Living in bad neighborhoods. It's like saying more people die in hospitals. Don't go to the hospital. You'll die there. <laughs> So, we, guys, I want to come back with Ann and ask her some political questions because it turns out Barack Obama does have an endorsement to make. We'll get into that in just a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we're back with Ann Coulter, uh, 13-time New York Times bestselling author, fierce on the Twitter, but actually quite delightful and entertaining in person. Uh, and thanks for staying with us. So, Absolutely. Love to be here. So uh, Joe Biden is the nominee. Uh, this is a prediction that I have to admit to my audience I got wrong. I can't believe that he's actually the nominee in a sense. It just strikes me as it, it does seem like almost elder abuse. Obama's giving the last man standing in the candidate you know, in, in the race. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, go for Joe Biden today. What do you make of this? You know, that was quite a ringing endorsement. OK, fine. I'll endorse you. <laughs> but no can, he, can he win? And it's, can it's he beat him? He waited even for Sanders to drop out. It's, it's really not not an overwhelming endorsement. Can he win? Well, um, I do think this coronavirus business, a lot of people think, oh, he looks so old and he has these stupid podcasts. No, this is the best Thing that could happen to Joe Biden. I, I have said for a long time the Democrats could beat Trump if they, if they could possibly run a candidate and not tell us who the candidate is. <laughs> Just not Trump. You got two choices when you walk into the voting booth, Trump or not Trump. And I think a lot of people are just exhausted, whether it's Trump's fault or not, they're exhausted with having this constant chaos and frenzy and anger and every night it's breaking. Oh, what did he do today? And I think people, not people like you and me, but people who are kind of on the fence are just going to think, okay, fine, where do I sign the contract? Just make all this chaos stop. Um, so you have that. And also, we're not really seeing what you, I think, at 
accurately describe as the elder abuse of running this guy, the less you see of him, the better off the Democrats are. Um, And then there's also the risk, I mean, if Trump, um, I know I'm getting to be a broken record on this, but if Trump had, had gone in and kept his promises on going tough against China, on bringing manufacturing home, on 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 building the wall and and you know pretty much locking down the borders oh he'd be sitting pretty right now but he didn't do that he says that stuff and he's tricked democrats into opposing reasonable policies that that 80 percent of the country agree with i don't know if you saw um this recent poll that 80 percent of americans want a total immigration moratorium i mean that's only slightly up from what it was when he was elected and throughout his presidency why have we not gotten the immigration moratorium i mean i'm sorry this this virus came from china um and the media's response is oh don't call it the chinese virus um and we're not getting a wall either Right, exactly. But I've gone from being, you know, the one person I knew who, who thought Trump was going to win to saying, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's, it seems like also the 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 Democrats, you know, orange man bad slash return to normalcy was the main that was the overriding narrative that you got. You know, Trump is all the things they always say. He's so gross and evil and bad. But, you know, for people that don't already feel that way, it seemed like that wasn't really going to move the needle. But return to right. normalcy, to your point if normalcy means you can go back outside and live your life again, and if that yeah. just becomes the perception, then a return to normalcy pre-Trump. You know, it used to be normalcy was a booming stock market, peace and prosperity in America. doesn't feel like that right now. I think Democrats have something they're, they're going to use. Oh, absolutely. And this is not a statement of preference. I mean, it's, it's terrifying that whomever the Democrat is, um, if the Democrat wins the presidential election, it'll be about the same. I mean, we think there's this huge difference, people who pay attention and watch the debates, huge difference between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Ah, they're going to hire the same people. You're going to get the same Supreme Court nominee. Poor Ruth Bader Ginsburg can finally can finally retire. Um, any Democrat will absolutely fling open the borders um, quite a bit more than, than Trump merely not keeping his promises on the border. Um, so so it's, this is not said with any good cheer. <laughs> but I, as I always say, I consider myself the president of the re-elect Trump committee by trying to get this guy to keep his promises, because that's the best way for him to get re-elected. This coronavirus, though, I think is helping Biden. And however things shake out, I mean, people do have a tendency. Again, not you or me. They have a tendency to blame the president when things aren't going well. And it's hard to see a lot of things bouncing back. I think we could open most of the country. But how are you going to open, well, one of my favorite things to do, um, you know, professional baseball games? How are you going to open Disneyland, movie theaters? Are people going to be comfortable flying? Yeah, the the whole service industry is still, that's months and months and months off, and that employs one-tenth of Americans. That's a big problem. But, Anne, before we we let you go and and, and get into our next break here, one one, uh, quarantine recommendation from Ann Coulter of what to watch. I would read, obviously, one of your books. What to watch. What are you watching these days? Oh, I just thought of a good one that I should be recommending to people. What was it? Um, well, I loved Veep. Okay. I haven't seen that one. We'll check that one out. Really? That TV show? I haven't seen it, yeah. 
it was Elaine from Seinfeld, and what's I think you'll really like it, but I think anybody would like it, because even though it's about a vice president, there's nothing political about it. It's just utterly cynical about politics, quite accurate in that regard, in fact, Sounds f- and very funny. Sounds fantastic. All right, everybody, Ann Coulter, if you haven't already, get one of her books, get a bunch of her books, and stay safe. Thanks so much for making the time for us. Good to talk to you, Buck. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So today I am asking all Americans, I'm asking every Democrat, I'm asking every Independent, I'm asking a lot of Republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, which I endorse, to make certain that we defeat somebody who I believe, and I'm speaking just for myself now, uh, is the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. Bernie Sanders endorsing Biden there. The most dangerous president in the history of this country. You know, it's like he's so terrible. He's the worst. I can't stand him. I don't like Biden that much either, but he's better than Trump. All right. So here we are being told by the progressive left, okay, fine. We'll get behind Biden. We'll fall in line, just like they did behind Hillary. Now, that, for some of us, may be a a positive indicator insofar as it seems to suggest that uh, this will be a replay of 2016. But now with the with the coronavirus situation, the pandemic, we all know this is going to be a very different election than 2016. And you had the uh, the Obama endorsement of Biden come down today as well. Obama had been been waiting on the side. He didn't want to come out and endorse Biden right away. He, uh, he wanted a seat. It was really the best uh, choice for the American people. So Obama now is saying that Biden is going to be the, the guy. Okay. Um, I guess that that means that all along he thought that Biden should be the guy. That's what we're supposed to believe. But I think we all know better than that. Here's where this stands now. I, I am. Uh, we just talked to Ann Coulter a little bit about this. I'm, I'm concerned as well. Because they're just going to turn the, the they're going to f- uh, force this into a very clear binary. Forget all the stuff before about Russia collusion, Trump grabbing by the blank, all that's all that stuff. Right. The emoluments clause, Stormy Daniels, Ukraine phone call, all of that. That's going to be very quickly forgotten. That's going to be very quickly cast aside. Uh, I mean, they're, they're still going to use it, but that's not going to be the main the main effort. I shouldn't say forgotten. That'll be pushed into the secondary line of attack. The main line of attack is just going to be this pandemic is horrible. Things are bad in the country. The economy's bad, because even if we turn the economy on tomorrow, which we're not going to do, and it's going to take quite some time to even get things up and running to a, a reasonably normal level of economic activity, e- even if that happens, uh, the economy is going to be probably in a pretty tough spot. And a lot of people are going to be very angry about what the government has done to them come this fall. So you have the creation of this return to normal uh, versus America under the pandemic. And the pandemic and the, and the country that we're living in is going to be, they're going to try to blame all of it on Trump. 
it did happen on his watch. How much can he uh, could he have done or not done is clearly going to be where the debate is. But I'm worried, my friends. I was very confident that Trump was going to get reelected. And now with a pandemic, it seems like a much it seems to me much more like a 50 50 shot. How can anyone say they believe with real confidence that, that President Trump will be able to pull this off, considering that there's going to be a a very weak economy, most likely going into the uh, reelection. And we're going to have a death toll that will be entirely put on Trump's shoulders by the media. And there's going to be a lot of stuff here that they have to work with. So I, I'm concerned. And that's why this other this other point from the conversation I was having with Ann that I wanted to extrapolate on extrapolate from here and expand on uh, that there's really not that much. You know, right now, people I, I think people have a, a perception that we have largely dodged a bullet uh, as a country by not having a socialist as a president that we've large, you know, we've oh, whoo, we should breathe a, a big sigh of relief. Because Bernie Sanders, the socialist, is not going to be the candidate and therefore not going to be the president. But how different really is Joe Biden from Bernie Sanders when it comes to policy? Uh, How different is it when you look at the direction that they want to take the country in? Joe Biden wants not Medicare for all, but he wants a public option. Well, a public option just means now that you have effectively a choice of what will be Medicare for you know a similar pr- a program to Medicare for all, and people are going to say, "Yeah, I want that. I-, I want that government plan that's subsidized, that pays for all of my stuff, as though I'm a Medicare recipient. I want that same deal." Now, Medicare is the single biggest thing blowing a massive hole in our national debt. So we know that this is this is financially unsustainable. But yes, people will want that. And what happens when you start to see too many people or people signing up for that public option? It crowds out private plans and eventually there'll just be a bigger move toward you guessed it. Medicare for all the public option for all, which is Medicare for all. That's what will happen. So he's just giving you he's just looking at at, what the trajectory that Bernie Sanders is on and telling you he's going to take you to a halfway point. Just as Obama with Obamacare moved the country in a direction of much greater uh, government control of health care, much more uh, central planning in charge of our health care system. Biden continues on with that and pushes it even further. Bernie Sanders is just trying to take you, you know, he's trying to get you there in two years or four years or whatever it may be. Biden is, is going to get you there. The Biden plan will get you there in six or eight. It's not, it's not really all that different. And Biden is even willing to say that Democrats should. I mean, he, he's open about this. I thought this is one of those things that should be whisper, you know, they're whispering but won't say out loud. Biden is saying that they should seize this opportunity of the tremendous crisis the country is currently in to try to advance the Green New Deal and a progressive and, and, and progressive agenda items. Play clip seven. And I want Donald Trump to look at these people in the eye and tell them after they put their lives in the line for the rest of us that they don't deserve a living wage, that they don't deserve health care, that they don't deserve to be able to send their kids to college or community college or trade school, that they don't deserve to make equal pay for equal work. 
I, I want them to look them in the eye and tell them that they don't deserve to be able to organize, to fight for what they deserve, to bargain with dignity, to demand their employers give them their due. I want them to look them in the eye and tell them that, that the scientists are wrong, that climate change is not an existential crisis demanding worldwide domestic and international responses. You know, I want them to tell the moms and dads across the country that their children and grandchildren don't have the right to clean air and water. Look, the United States has no choice but to seize this opportunity and create millions, millions of great paying jobs that your energy plan has suggested and mine as well. An energy infrastructure of tomorrow, not going back to anything that was before, tomorrow. And we take a backseat to no one when it comes to fighting climate change or when it comes to creating good paying jobs, middle class jobs, union jobs. Yeah, more central planning. That's what we need across the board. Central planning of the energy sector, central planning of, of every aspect of life. Remember, the experts, folks, they can tell you what to, they can tell you what to do, anything. You got to listen to them, right? Not allowed to have any questions, not allowed to have any pushback. So much of what he said there is just false. Equal pay, you know, the e equal pay as a rallying cry on the left is a lie. Right. Women are not paid 33 cents on a dollar less than men for the same work. If that were the case, you would have whole corporations that would save 30 percent on their labor costs by only hiring women. It's just not true. And it's not true for a whole bunch of other reasons, too. And all the studies that are honest, that are done by economists show that this is not this is not reality, that in the aggregate, women tend to not always tend to make different choices and have a different uh, approach to the way that they will uh, prioritize life and work but that's never factored in the democrats just use this to divide us and to tell lies to people so i suppose no no surprises on that um you also have i mean there are so many claims in there I mean, the green energy one is the biggest one that we have to be on the lookout for because climate change as a national emergency a global emergency and one upon which the fate of the human race rests that's something that they're going to continue to they're going to use this current model of shutdown. You have to shut down. You got to do what we say. It's an emergency. It's an emergency. They're going to use uh, this model for the pandemic response for climate change issues down the line. I, re I really do believe that it's just a matter of time before that happens. And they're saying that they view this as an opportunity for the massive expansion of government for the enshrinement of new powers and authorities into the government's hands that can be used against us for a whole range of things going forward. And this is big government, left wing, progressive stuff that Biden's talking about. So you see that the return to the American people, the pitch will be vote for me. I'll return things to normalcy to the Democrat base and to the left. They're like, oh, OK. Well, Biden's going to basically do what we want him to do anyway. So we're, we're moving in the same direction here. It's really not all that different. And to people that are easily fooled, it's just things will get better. We just want change. Think about Obama, 2008. We've got a financial crisis going on, hope and change. Perfect way to capture the sentiment of that moment for the electorate. Uh, you know, hope for change is really what was going on. This stinks, the bad economy. We hate it. Somebody's going to do something else. That something else has got to be good. Got to figure out a way to get that done. That's where this was. That's the truth of the, the success of that particular uh, political moment in time for the Democrats.
And then we have the immigration issue. This is what Trump won on. Not a lot of talk about this from the president these days. If only we had had even more secure borders, if only we had had an administration that followed through on all of the promises from now, some of the promises have been followed through on, but not, there are others that have not. We do not have a wall. And my friends, we're not going to get a wall in time for the election. That's a shame. You know, he thought he had more time. This was going to be the year that it was going to get built. At least that's how they were setting it up. He thought he had more time. He didn't have more time. So now we're, we're not getting a wall. That's not going to happen. He can't run for reelection on sea. I told you. Yeah, you can say, Buck, we got 100 miles of wall or something. I mean, okay, it's a start. We had some wall before, or at least we had some fence. It wasn't very good. The new, new fence is much better. But there are some areas where we, we know that there's just not the follow through that is, is needed here. So let's talk a little bit about, about the immigration component here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're going to finally achieve comprehensive immigration reform as well, put millions of citizens on a pathway to citizenship, including so many who are on the front lines right now. Millions on a pathway to citizenship. That means millions get citizenship. There is going to be there will be no expulsions from the pathway once the Democrats create it. Once a once a Biden administration sets up the way that illegal aliens can get citizenship in the United States, there's not going to be any movement to tell people who are on that pathway. Oh, sorry. You're not going to unless they're a violent felon or something. And even then, they'll the ACLU and others will probably take up their case and say, how dare you deny us the, you know, the civilization building help of, of a violent felon in this in this instance. Right. I mean, this is just absurd. But that's where this is all heading. And, and remember that if Democrats are able to get and I think we've forgotten about this as as part of our conversation about what the country faces, if Democrats are able to get a mass amnesty through. Uh, the Republican Party is done for several election cycles, if not done forever. That's it. You're, you're, you're finished. And the Republicans should know that finished at the national level, not going to win a White House again for decades just because of the demographics. You know, Hispanics in general, Latinos in general, which, as we know, would be a vast majority, not all, but a vast majority of the illegal alien population that would be transitioned into this pathway to citizen status vote two to one. Uh, Democrat over Republican. I think in these cases, or in a lot of instances, it seems more like it's three to one, but it's a, a big majority vote Democrat over Republican. And that's all that they need at the national level, all the Democrats need to continue to win, to continue to hold power. So we, we got a real, we got a real problem here. We got a problem that nobody has really gotten an answer to because right now we're so focused on trying to reopen the economy. Well, one, one thing, by the way, I, on the reopening, that I didn't mention before. I, I want to dig into Sweden a bit more tomorrow as a case, because there's so much pressure right now on Sweden to go with full lockdown. And it's just so interesting when I'm reading the analysis of it, because Sweden has a far lower uh, death rate from COVID-19 than Spain, than Italy. But we, we're seeing all this comparison to uh, to Finland, a tiny and really very uh what's what's the best way to, to put this a, a country with so much social cohesion i mean they speak a language that like no one else anywhere in the world even knows exists uh finland 
that's that that uh, Sweden is being compared only to some of the Nordic countries around it instead of the overall European model. I don't think that that's a fair. I don't think that's drawing a fair assessment for how well the Swedish model is really working. Sweden's a bigger country than say uh, than Denmark is. Sweden is a big, much bigger country than Finland is. If you look at a country the size of, um, if you look at a country the size of of Italy, a size of Spain, okay, yes, they're five or six x. Uh, you know, Italy is uh, sixty million. I believe Sweden's about ten million. So they're much bigger countries, but even adjusted per capita, Sweden is basically holding, you know, holding the line of deaths lower than what you have in those major European states. And they're not doing the lockdown. That's the that's the key difference. So how is that the case? You know, there's also a a study and I, and I, I will probably return to this one tomorrow. These are just some mulligans that I'm taking now. Uh, where you have the chairman of the Israeli Space Agency and the National Council for Research and Development in Israel says that, well, here's what he says, um, that COVID-19 declines after six to eight weeks, that there's a cycle that this disease runs in countries. Essentially, once it gets in, it spreads, it rips through a portion of the population, and whether you lock down or not does not change. This is this Israeli scientist who is making this claim. It's been reported in international media. He's saying lockdown or no lockdown doesn't really make a difference. Quote, this is happening both in countries that have closed down like us, this is talking about Israel, and in those that have not closed until today, like Sweden, every country, no matter its response, the decline and rise occur according to the same timeline, he said, adding that his observations are based entirely on past data without attempting to guess what will happen in the future. So he's saying that there's there's a cycle that we've seen play out now where no matter how locked down you are, no matter what you try to do as a country, this thing goes on a certain curve over the course of six to eight weeks. I would really like to see some honest efforts to crunch the data and look at the numbers uh, and see if that's true. But, man, there's going to be the same way that you look, look at something, a, a huge historical debate like the green, not the Green New Deal, the New Deal. Did the New Deal help pull America out of the Depression? Did it make, make the Depression worse? We're still fighting about that to this day. I obviously think the New Deal made it worse, and that's a conversation we can have. There's been some excellent scholarship that has come away from looking at the New Deal policies of FDR and showing that it did, it did actually make things worse. But we've been told, we were told in school, made things better. The lockdown debate, I can assure you, is going to continue for a very long time after this virus finally is under control in this country. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everyone. It is our roll call session. I look forward to it every day. Here's what we've got. Marina, right? Oh, and if you want to be a part of it, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Or you can write into us at teambuck at iheartmedia.com. I am here. I'm stuck in quarantine. You know what makes me smile? You know what makes me happy? Uh, other than when Tallulah starts snoring in the sun, as she likes to do now every day. You know, she really, she finds the warmest part where the sun is coming through the window the most and sets herself up there. And if it's really warm, I know, because then she just starts snoring like a little, a little warthog. Uh, she's very cute, though. But other than that, what makes me smile these days is getting roll call notes from all of you, getting messages from you, telling me what you're seeing across the country. Just let me know how you're doing. How's your family doing? 
You, you guys are the only. It's you and producer Mark, and I talked to my immediate family on the phone. I talked to uh, I talked to the 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 mystery lady. I guess I said already said her name. So I talked to the girlfriend. Uh, that's that's what I do. That's it. There's no one else. You know. So I I love hearing from all of you. I really mean that. You guys give me a sense that you know, we're all gonna get through. We're all gonna be all right. All right. Marina's first up here. The other day, my roommate and I took a motorcycle ride. Oh, sounds like fun. We stopped in a small town at a mom-and-pop restaurant to buy lunch to go. The municipality had recently taped off the benches in the park nearby, so we asked the restaurant employee where she, where she suggested we eat. They had a large, empty outdoor deck, and she motioned in that direction. After lunch, I had this sensation that took me a moment to remember. I felt normal. I thank the employee for giving us the gift of a normal day. Um, by the way... You can't tease Tallulah anymore now that you two have fattened up like a baby seal. Fair point. You know, truth hurts. But yeah, baby, baby seal is going to have to start keeping me from eating too many fish every day because it's getting round, round about the belly, round about the belly. What is the is there a food producer mark that you basically can't get right now because all the restaurants are shut down and stuff that you miss the most? Oh, yeah. Sushi. You can't That's get sushi anywhere. I haven't had sushi in, uh, certainly in the whole lockdown, but I don't even know how long. It's been a long time. Yeah. I mean, I only eat the cooked stuff, but I'm craving it, and I have been for over a month. What is your, go- what is your go-to cooked sushi choice? The uh, Philadelphia roll. Ooh, with uh-huh. the, the smoked salmon and smoked the cream salmon. cheese. Yes. Those are delicious. So it's kind of like a lox cream cheese bagel, but rice instead of a bagel. Yes, exactly. And seafood. Yeah, no, I, I like that one, too. Bob writes in, hey, Buck, I used to listen to podcasts every show a year back, but got out of the habit of listening to all podcasts for a while. I recently rediscovered you on iHeart. I love the show. Um, I love the show, but I did notice your format is different now. Current events and political commentary from the previous show, which seemed to be more historical analysis, politics and philosophy. Your depth of knowledge and insight on complex issues completely fascinated and engaged me. It was the most intelligent show I had ever heard. I love the current show, but I miss your earlier work, so I'm excited to hear you're planning some podcasts in the style of the old shows. I'm looking forward to them and hope it turns into something you can continue to produce in the future. Bob. Well, Bob, thank you. And, and yeah, it's uh, look, there's a, a few things going on. One is because of the expansion of this show from being what was really in the OSS days on Saturday. A, it was a live stream and a live stream a podcast. That's all that it was. There was there. We had no stations when we started. And now if you count up all of the stations we're on, it's we got about one hundred and sixty, give or take. And, uh, and and that's including sometimes we'll say one hundred and twenty, sometimes we one hundred and sixty, because in some places we're on an AM and an FM in the same market. But if you if you add up all of the stations that we are currently on, it's one hundred and sixty or so stations. And so we have this current events and day to day news update component of the show that wasn't really there for the Saturday show. Uh, And also, to be quite honest with you, I had the time then because it was a once a week show to really do. I mean, those shows, we got into history and philosophy and things. It's just in a way that it'd be be impossible to do right now. I I can't even as it is. It's hard to carry the load of doing five hours of radio a day, which I'm doing these days. Uh, but I really do appreciate that you liked those OSS days on the Saturday show. 
And I, I think they've, I don't know if they still exist anymore, if they're still up. I feel like the Blaze might have pulled them all down. I, I don't know. We'd have to check. Uh, but it certainly would be fun to go back and listen to some of those earlier shows uh, for me just to see how, how this has all grown and, and how this has evolved. I, I was talking to my parents about this last night. I've been doing radio now for eight years, going on 10 years as a radio host, which once you get to 10 years, then you're like, you know, you're really somebody who's been doing that thing for a long time. 10 years, I feel like is you're, you're a, a, a professional by, by virtue merely of, of time, if nothing else. So, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Bob. And yeah, the, the, uh, the Shields High Malta, um, Mrs. Sexton, my mom has said that she even likes the history podcasts. So now I can't, I can't, I can't disappoint mom. You know what I mean? Yeah, so so there we go. Plus, Should I just I lo- give her a list of stuff I want you to start doing? I was going to say, yeah. plus if producer Mark finds this out, he's going to start funneling Mrs. Sexton requests, and, and he, Mark will know that they'll get done right away. Instead of our current circumstance where Mark has to constantly remind me to do the radio equivalent of tying my shoes and uh, waking up in the morning. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to build an empire through Mrs. Sexton. Just have her tell me. you all the things I want you to do extra. Yeah, Mrs. Sexton, Mrs. Sexton gets results. It's a true story. Kevin! I found your show some months ago on Freedom 93.7 in Denver, uh, which we love that Denver affiliate and the audience that, that we, have, we have managed to bring together in the Denver area is honestly one of the, one of the, proudest, uh, one of the proudest moments that this, this show has had in the last year. And I've listened to every minute of every show since. I appreciate your rhetorical style, your highly effective order, and have a very bright future. I know you hear from your Denver listeners a lot. Take the hint and move out here. This is a great place to live. I uh, am a small business owner, and this virus has cost me everything. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the charge the government and the government chose to abandon all three in the name of, sell- uh, of saving f- uh, few from this specific disease. I hope it was worth it. Shields high, and remember, if the shield's a little too heavy, simply bend a knee, and it naturally will get a little higher. <laughs> all right, man. Kevin, thank you so much. And, yeah, Freedom 93.7 in Denver. Speaking of our affiliates, uh, we just we, we love the – the response that we've had from folks listening out there. And I was just telling my older brother last night that I've, I've got to get out to Denver to visit. I've never been there before. I want to come out so badly. And, you know, producer Mark and I keep talking about maybe relocating. And the good news for producer Mark, and he already knows this is technically, we don't even have to be in the same place to keep doing the exact same show. So you producer Mark could move down to like Naples and work on your tan. And I could theoretically be in Denver or Austin or San Diego and uh, you know we'd still do the show yeah I'm sure the company will just throw out loads of money to give us equipment wherever we want I'm just saying technically speaking it would be possible yeah it is possible and is Nate by the way is Na- Naples is the, is the top choice for you right isn't that uh, what you- Naples I guess maybe Delray I like that area Ooh, have yeah. you been to Delray I have uh, Delray's beautiful so grandparents live down there Oh man, yeah. that's a great that's a great super chill beach town. I really like downtown Del Rey. Is beautiful. Yeah, no, that's 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 for real. Maureen, hey Buck and producer Mark, glad you have a girlfriend at all. But is it safe practice to have her in and out of your place like that? I thought you had to be socially isolated. Apparently, you're choosing not to follow the New York mandate. Glad you're a happy Buckster, but we need you to be safe, please. We count on you and producer Mark to keep us safe and warm. Love your show, and always uh, as always, you guys are the best. Hey, Maureen, I mean, we, we consider it to be, you know, right now, if you if you have a very small circle of people who are either family or a significant other and you just know that you're they're like within your quarantine and you don't expand the quarantine. So 
I don't have, for example, I haven't had my siblings, whom I, I love very, very much and miss a lot. I haven't had them visit me because we're trying to keep separate spaces and, and stay within quarantine. But basically, your significant other, you make the exception. You make the exception. Um, and yeah, it's a, we, we actually can walk. But so there's no we can walk between our homes. So if you can go outside, which we are allowed to do, and you maintain social distance from people on the street, there's really no particular uh, th there's no situation where you're in a compromised uh, position, uh, position to get the virus, really, or ele elevated risk of getting the virus other than by going outside, which I have to do three times a day anyway, or else little Miss Tulu would be leaving me smelly presents all over my floor, which we don't want. That's not good for anybody. And then she would give me what I tell my little sister I call, there's a look she gives me, but I call it the middle paw because she extends the middle paw at me. It's when she's unhappy with me, when I've mixed her food. Not, it has to be the perfect mixture of chicken that I often now cook for her. Yes, that's right. And dry food. She will eat some dry food. If the mixture is off, she does, as I've told you, the, the tiny triceratops where she slaps the bowl all around my, my kitchen with her head. That's when, that's when the mixture is not perfect. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why else she would do it. That's why she does it. Matt, she slaps the bowl around with her head and makes a little mess and then eats it because the food is fine. But she's a very, uh, she looks, she's very French, even though technically she's from Missouri, for those who are wondering. The dog was born in Missouri, but she's a French bulldog, so we still think of her as being French. Uh, let's see, John Shields High, real news fan. Wow. Going back to the real news days on the blaze TV. That's a, that's a different OSS, but been with me for a while then, John. Thank you so much. Check out Molly's game on Netflix. It's a real life story of Molly Bloom. It is awesome. Kami bear lives. Uh, John, I mean, uh, Mark, have you seen uh, Molly's game? I have. I saw it in theaters. It's fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Really? Great movie, yeah. I read the oh. book also. Wow. Well, then I, I will check it out. I, I, what, I did not think... I don't know. It just didn't seem like the story would have enough interest for me of someone running a, a poker game, but you're telling me it's really good. Yeah, you think it's so, so simple just running a poker game, but there's so much to it, and I had no idea the story going in when I, I watched the movie first. Really, really good and well done. And I, I like that actress. I don't remember her name, but she's good. She was good in Zero Dark Thirty, too. So whatever, whatever, whatever her name is, she was good. All right. More roll call coming up. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. More roll call coming your way right now. Joe. Hey, Buck. Longtime listener. Love the topics. Love the show. Well, Joe, you're a man of exceptional taste. This isn't the start of the Cold War between the U.S. and the Chinese. That's been ongoing for three decades. Hopefully it's the start of us fighting back, Shields High. Well, Joe, I don't disagree with your sentiment at all. I just think that you could argue it has been a one-way war or a one-way Cold War, which doesn't really feel like a true Cold War. But maybe now we understand that we cannot uh, abide by the Communist Chinese Party's machinations around the world we, we cannot accept this the, the state uh, of play as it is now is is not is not sufficient china china needs to be held accountable the chinese government needs to be held accountable here uh what this leads to i, I don't know 
you, you know, the, the prospect of true modern warfare between superpower states that have the technology, the manpower, and the resources that the U.S. and China has, uh, that's really one of the only things that is as terrifying as the worst disease scenario you could ever come up with, perhaps in some ways more so. I mean, now you're, you're talking about, you know, death and destruction on a scale that would, it would boggle and terrify any mind. So hopefully that is never going to be the case. But I do worry that we'll have other conflicts with China and, and other ways where we uh, th- there is friction that that spills over, if not into uh, military conflict, certainly the economic and cultural and political fighting with China is going to heat up dramatically in the months and years ahead. Brandy. Buck, what do you think are President Trump's chances at winning in the fall after all of this COVID-19 pandemic fallout? Furthermore, is Joe Biden really going to go up against Trump? The debates are going to be must-see TV. Well, one thing is I, I think that we might have debates without audience, which would be great. I don't think that presidential debates should have an audience. I think that that slows it down. I think that the moderators play to the audience more than they realize and uh, I, I don't I think that we should just have debates televised. Let people see there does not need to be any audience. So and I, and I don't think there will be because who really is going to want to be in you know September, October, subject themselves to that. Maybe by that point we'll feel fine about it. I, I don't know. But I, I think that there's there's a possibility it's not something we're going to do. Um, and I told you, what do I th- what do I think about Biden against Trump? It's really just Trump versus not Trump. When you think of it in that way, when you think of Trump versus not Trump, then you can see how all of a sudden it's going to be a, a close fought contest. And that's why my, my El Cid analogy for the Biden campaign, I think, is so apropos. Uh, it doesn't matter. It just any anybody with the name recognition that that's the Democrat standard bearer could be put on the horse and sent out there to, you know, to scare away the last of the Moors for the conquest, the conquest of, of Granada. Right. A reconquista, reconquista of Granada. I, I, I think that's really what you're going to see with this Biden campaign. It's not going to be impressive. It's not going to be compelling, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. You have to remember that. Uh, Mark, not to be confused with producer Mark. Buck, my man, as I'm writing this to say, I've been reaching. I, I've been meaning to reach out for a couple of weeks, but haven't had a minute. My two year old daughter runs in to tell me she just doo-dooed in her pants Thanks, Mark. I think we call that TMI. Oh, the life of being a parent with toddlers at home full time. I lose a little of my sanity daily. I wanted to comment on a producer, you and uh, producer uh, on a conversation you and producer Mark had weeks ago regarding comfortable shoes. You have to get a pair of all birds. They are 100% wool and are by far the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn, especially without socks. I will warn against wearing them in the summer unless you like hot feet. Love what you do. Keep up the hope. And remember, it's all in the reflexes. I've heard of these all birds. In fact, uh, the the girlfriend has I think she has all birds. Producer Mark, do you know of these things? Yeah, I've heard of them as well. I, I don't quote me on this, but I think my sister-in-law, the nurse, uses them because they're so uh, so comfortable. Super comfortable. Yeah. And probably more stylish than Crocs, which I know also medical personnel sometimes wear, but not everyone finds to be the most stylish of shoe. I think almost anything is more comfortable than Crocs, even the slippers I'm wearing right now. Really? People think Crocs are comfortable, I thought. Uh, I didn't mean, I, did, I misspoke. I meant uh, more fashionable. Fashionable, fashionable. Yes, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. No, Crocs are comfortable, but yeah, their fashion they're is a little... 
Yeah, a little fashion, a little bit different thing. Everybody, please subscribe to the Buck Sexton YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Buck Sexton. We're going to be putting up video and all kinds of new and exciting content you can't see anywhere else. Please do subscribe, team. All of you listening, let's get you involved with YouTube viewing. Until tomorrow, Shields high.